0: Well, good morning, Spring Valley Baptist Church, and happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers. And uh, we recognize that uh, this year, as we uh, pointed out in the video, tribute to mothers that aired just a few moments ago, uh, this will be a vastly different Mother's Day than perhaps any Mother's Day that you as mothers have uh, have experienced and shared together because there will have to be a, a virtual celebration for Mom's Day. So I hope you have a great day. And uh, maybe even uh, since you're gonna be separated from your family and just have to do it by virtual means, maybe you'll even set a record today for the number of phone calls on Mother's Day because Mother's Day normally records the highest number of phone calls than any other day during the year. So welcome to our worship and celebration today. Today uh, we continue in the the series that uh, was introduced uh, three weeks ago uh, in our life groups and we're also sharing in the sermon time together. On messy relationships. And uh, we know that life can get messy real quick uh, because of the relationships that we have to, to share in and live in. And so uh, we are studying six character traits uh, that God wants us to possess so that hopefully uh, we can be allowed to clean up some messy relationships and maybe even prevent some messy relationships from happening. In the last two weeks, we've looked at love. And love certainly goes a long way towards uh, preventing messy relationships. And then we looked at encouragement and how important it is to encourage people. Today the character trait we're going to consider both in the message and in your life group is that of forgiveness. And when we talk about forgiveness that might, that might be one of the most difficult things that we think that we're called upon to do in, in our Christian life. And, and our Christian faith though The essence of it is the fact that we are forgiven by God. And because we're forgiven by God, we are supposed to be forgivers. And so when we learn to forgive others who have hurt us, we go a long way in cleaning up messy relationships. And when we learn to forgive, we also experience something that can be good for us mentally, physically, and emotionally. I read a report called The Power of Forgiving." Uh, that actually was uh, a case study done at Hope College in Michigan, where some psychiatrists uh, and psychologists worked together uh, to hook up 71 uh, men and women. I don't know why the number 71, maybe that was what they needed for their test or whatever, but anyway, 71 men and women were hooked up to devices that could monitor blood pressure and and, uh, uh, anger results and muscle tension and all that kind of stuff. And what they wanted them to do was to go back and get in touch with feelings from times that they were hurt and where, where people had hurt them and where uh, they, they still had lingering memories about those experiences. And so what happened was when they, tried, when they re- went back and relived those things as they thought about them, being hurt by family members or friends. The participants focused on those those past slights, and here's what happened. All those devices hooked up to them to measure their pulse, blood pressure, sweat rates, and muscle tension revealed that all of those things went up. Their blood pressure rose. Their heart rate accelerated. Their muscles tightened, and the nervous system activity spiked. And the result of that was they learned that holding a grudge was hard on their health. So it is healthy for us to learn how to forgive. And forgiving others is not only healthy for us spiritually and mentally and emotionally and physically, but it's also a character trait that is supposed to be a part of our DNA as a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus goes even so far to say that if you're not willing to forgive others, you can't experience the Fullness of the forgiveness that God offers to you. In Matthew 6, verses 14 to 15, Jesus said, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Those are powerful words to consider. So as we look at our scripture today, we'll see that Jesus teaches that same principle in today's parable. And in this study we're going to learn how to practice forgiveness. We'll understand how much we've been forgiven and how that drives us then to be forgiving by our nature as we live in Christ. So, look at a scripture with me if you would. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. Beginning in verse 21, uh, and what what precedes this is beginning in verse 15, and there's, uh, there's this this is teaching that Jesus gives about a brother who sins against you, and is not willing to seek reconciliation, and so he gives guidelines for that that you're supposed to go and confront them. If he won't listen to you, then you're supposed to go and take people from the from the church with you and, and talk to him about that him or her. And if they still refuse to forgive, then you're supposed to bring the matter back to the church. And if they still refuse then to offer forgiveness or acceptance or reconciliation, then the scripture says if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, I think most of us would have an explanation or understanding of that passage of scripture that said we should just consider them to be outcast as a pagan or, or as a tax collector. But instead, what we're supposed to do then is consider them lost and pray for them. All right, so with that as the backdrop, that's why I think Peter came to Jesus and asked the question that he asked that we find beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then Jesus teaches us about forgiveness in the story, a parable that he tells. He says, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But He refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, If we carefully consider uh, this passage and this parable and this teaching by Jesus called the parable of the unmerciful servant, we learn what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. We also get in touch, and we should get in touch, with, with, with how much we have been forgiven and how that then plays out in our life when we have those opportunities and circumstances in which we need to express forgiveness as well. I'm sure that every one of us has someone in our life that we need to forgive. You, you've got some kind of incident that you can relate to in your life from someone that you have some kind of hard feelings about and you need to practice forgiveness. You need to forgive that person and let them go and let that offense go as well. If you don't then then you are a vast, vast minority of people. But chances are if you are married, if you have a job, if you have neighbors, if you go to church here particularly anywhere else, if you ever eat out, if you have in-laws, you've got multiple opportunities in your life from the past to practice forgiveness. So the question for us today is, is how do we go about learning how to do that? How, how can we learn how to forgive the way that Jesus calls us to forgive and says to us that if we don't forgive as we have been forgiven, we can't experience the fullness of the forgiveness that God offers to us. Well, I think whenever we come to this issue about talking about forgiveness, I think there are two extremes that most believers have in mind and we live by one or the other. The first extreme example is where where we say, well, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. And I'll make certain that you never forget it either. I'll remind you of what you've done every day for the rest of your life. And every time I bring it up, you better act like you feel guilty Or I will withdraw my forgiveness. Now obviously that's not forgiveness at all. That's certainly not the way that God forgives us through Christ. The other extreme is this. That if I practice forgiving some people think. Then that just gives the person who offended me. And and a, a blank check. To just walk all over me knowing that whatever they do to me. I'm going to forgive him or her. And we see in the story today that neither one of those is the case. But Jesus teaches us how we're supposed to forgive others. And there are four principles that I want us to think about today. As we unwrap this story and just simply go through the text, there are four things, four guidelines that that Christ gives to us here that will help us to learn how to forgive. Because I'm sure that, that every one of us has something that we need to get in touch with that, that sparked some kind of thought about a grudge against somebody. And we know that that's a messy relationship, and this forgiveness will go a long way towards clearing up that messy relationship. So here's the first thing. I think Jesus would say to us, number one, forget about keeping count. In the opening two verses or so, it's Peter who comes to Jesus, and I think Peter might have had a little bit of a pious feeling when he came to him. He'd already heard what Jesus said above that about how to how you forgive somebody, and in this case, Peter says, "Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times." Now Peter thought he was being magnanimous in that gesture, but Jesus said, "I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times, or seventy times seven. The text can be translated either way." So where Peter come up with the number seven? Well, that was a the biblical number back then, that was, a, that was a Jewish belief system that the perfect number was seven. So Peter thought seven would be the perfect number of times to forgive somebody. Now, the other interesting thing is that the law of that day required that they only forgive three times. You, only, you were only bound by the Jewish law to forgive somebody three times, and after that you didn't have to do it. So Peter took those three times multiplied them by two, got six, added one, which was seven, and the perfect biblical number. But Jesus said, no, seven times is not enough. But 77 times or 70 times seven is what he says. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, we are to forgive an infinite number of times. That's just There should be no end to the forgiveness that we offer. So now, some think there's a difference between forgiveness that we offer to people who come and ask for that forgiveness and forgiveness that we're supposed to offer to people who have offended us who do not seek reconciliation. And Jesus gave some principles up there in, in verses 15 through, through 20 about how to do that for those who, who don't seek reconciliation. But what we focus on here is the situation where we are asked to grant forgiveness So Jesus is referring to those who come to us seeking forgiveness and reconciliation. And he makes it clear that we're supposed to forgive them an infinite number of times and forget about keeping count. And the reason for that is that's the way that God forgives us. That's the way that God forgives us. We come to him in faith and confess our sins. Of unbelief, and, and we accept and embrace Christ as our Savior, and God forgives us of all of our sin. And then as we go through life, we still live as an imperfect person in an imperfect and fallen world, and we still sin, and we need forgiveness for that. And every time we come and honestly, openly confess that to God and ask for His forgiveness, He grants it to us. That's the promise we find in 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus says the first step in learning how to forgive is to forget about keeping count. Don't don't take notes about it. Don't write it down. Don't keep up with the number of times that you've forgiven somebody. If someone asks for forgiveness, give it, regardless of how many times they ask for. And the second thing that Jesus tells us is right here through the story, and that is you need to counsel the debt of sin against you. Counsel the debt is a simple way of saying that. Sometimes when we forgive others, we, we have that power to, to counsel their debt and let them completely off the hook. And we always need to do that. We always need to let them go and let them be free. In, from what they have done to us as we forgive them. Now, Jesus makes that, that case at in point in, in this story with vastly differing numbers of a debt. You see, Jesus tells this parable of a man who owed his king a huge sum of money, and he was unable to pay the debt. And the king first ordered that the man, his wife, children, and everything they had be sold so that the debt could be paid for. That wouldn't even come close to it. And the man fell on his knees before the king and he begged for mercy and forgiveness and more time to pay the debt. Jesus said it was 10,000 talents. I read somewhere this week that that 10,000 talents from back then would be valued at about $2.5 billion today. Now Jesus doesn't go into how the man built up that much debt, but it's extremely large debt. And probably would be impossible for him to pay it back. So what happened? Verse 27 says, "The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go." Just like that, with just a word, billions of dollars of debt in today's money was wiped away. That man had gotten in over his head, and he owed far more than he could ever pay back. But when he asked for that forgiveness, the king displayed mercy on him, and he forgave him. Now, the reason that we are called to forgive and and forgive by erasing the debt is because that's the way that God forgives us in Jesus Christ. And the Bible affirms that in so many different places. In Micah 7, 19, the Scripture says that God forgives us as he hurls our iniquities into the depths of the sea. In Isaiah 44:2, God says, "I have swept your offenses like a cloud your sins like the morning mist." In other words, He just waves them away like he would part the morning mist. And then Isaiah 38:17 says, "You have put all my sins behind your back." And then the psalmist says in Psalm 103 verse 12, "As far as the east is from the west, So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Every one of those scriptures affirms what we ought to know. And that is that when God forgives us, he does away with that sin. He puts it away. He casts it into the sea. He wipes it away. He puts it behind his back. He removes it from us as far as the east is from the west. He does away with that sin. And we need to understand that. And that's the way that we need to begin to forgive. And that is that we counsel the debt. But sometimes, when the messy relationships come up, and we feel like we've really been hurt, we want to hold on to a grudge and not forgive these people because we figure that debt is too much for me to forgive. And so we harbor hard feelings towards people. We hold on to that grudge. We don't let go. And the only thing that it does is that grudge eats you alive. It doesn't bother that other person one bit. They don't even know you're harboring that grudge. But it's eating you alive. I like the story told about a little boy sitting on a park bench. And a man walked by and he looked at the little boy's face and he saw that obviously the little boy was in agony. And so the man asked him, what in the world is wrong son is causing you that much pain? And the little boy said, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. And the man said, well why don't you get up? And the little boy said, well I figure I'm causing him as much pain as he's causing me. I think sometimes when we, when we hold on to those grudges that we forget that it hurts us more than it hurts the other person and so we should forgive and counsel out that debt of sin that is owed to us. Then the third step is that we should forgive the offender but hold them accountable. Well, I think what Jesus teaches thirdly in this story is that with forgiveness though comes accountability. And that's one of the things that helps you eliminate one of those extreme issues about forgiving. Uh, that may, may be you hold on to. You say, if I forgive, that just gives them the free reign just to walk all over me and sin against me anytime they want to. And Jesus is teaching something different about that that, that helps you understand that. And that is that you hold them to accountability. We read that, that in the script, beginning in verse 28. When the servant went out, this is a man who had a tremendous debt forgiven. When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead he went off, had the man thrown in the prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed." Now look at the difference in the amounts that each of these servants owed. We've already talked about that the 10,000 talents owed by the first man valued at about $2.5 billion today the value of the 100 denaria debt that the other servant owed is valued at about $4,000. Now, in your life group, it's pointed out in the study today that that second man's debt was 100 denaria, which basically equaled about three months' salary. The first man owed 10,000 talents, which equaled 60 Million denaria, which equaled to 200,000 years of wages. Now think about the possibility of that man paying that back. 200,000 years of wages. So what do we learn from this? The lesson is that along with forgiveness comes accountability. The king didn't counsel the servant's debt and give him free reign to run up more debt. Neither did he give him free reign to treat his fellow servants without forgiveness and to treat them ruthlessly. But he forgave him, counseled the debt, but held him accountable. So when we come to a situation in life where we have been wronged and we have been hurt, and we offer forgiveness to the person who wronged us, and they accept that forgiveness, or the person comes to us and says, I'm sorry, I I I sinned against you, I said something about you I shouldn't have said. I did something against you that I should not have done, and I asked for your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Then we as believers, as followers of Christ, ought to say, absolutely. I will forgive you as God has forgiven me. Now, let's talk about ways that we can put some parameters in our life or restrictions in our life so that it doesn't happen again. That's where you hold that person in accountability. When we forgive others, even though we completely wipe out their debt, we need to help them establish terms of accountability. Whether it's by gossip, or whether it's by slander, or character defamation, or whatever that is that they're most prone to do to offend you, to hurt you, then you need to help them deal with that. Let me see if we can give you some examples to think about today. Suppose in a marriage relationship, one of the members of that marriage comes and confesses to the mate, to his or her mate, that they had been online and and they had watched some pornography and they needed to confess that. Well, you offer the forgiveness as the loving spouse. You offer forgiveness for that. But then you say, let's establish some boundaries. Let's establish some guidelines so that it won't happen again. And you do things like sharing passwords, don't go online unless you're going to be together to do it, and make sure that you're always going to be truthful. You can answer the questions have you done anything that you shouldn't have done, or seen anything, been in any website that you shouldn't have been on? And you'll be able to answer that with accountability. Now, uh, suppose you have a teenage son and he told you, he was going to go somewhere and be at such and such a place, doing such and such a thing with such and such a friend. And he asked for permission, and you grant him permission. And later you discover that that's not where he went at all. And so you sit down and you talk with him, and he asked for forgiveness. Well, sure, of course. You offer forgiveness, but then you say, now we're going to establish some guidelines. You weren't honest with me, so we're going to establish some guidelines so that I can hold you accountable. That I will know that you're where you are when you say that's where you are, and at what time, and so you establish something like the fact that with a cell phone, that son calls you every hour just to say, "Here's where I am. Here's what I'm doing. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing," and by that, you establish the guidelines that holds your son to accountability. I see Jesus teaches us that we don't allow forgiveness as a free or a blank check and free reign for somebody to be able to walk all over us numerous times. But with the forgiveness comes accountability. And I think sometimes we have problems holding on to the grudge that we bear against somebody because we have not established the accountability and boundary lines that will keep that relationship honest and free from being messy again. With forgiveness, comes accountability and then the fourth principle I think that Jesus teaches us in this story is that we're to remember God's mercy in our own life remember God's mercy in your own life you know and in, in my years 44 years this this month uh, the ninth day of may a couple of days ago may 9 1976 I was ordained uh, to the pastoral ministry and so I've been 44 years as an ordained Baptist pastor. I've had a, I've had a lot of opportunities in 44 years to practice forgiveness. People think somehow that that pastors can take anything that they have to say to them and you know sometimes life just gets tough and messy. And you got to learn you got to learn to be able to forgive. But when I also think about my life and relationship with Christ and I think about the mercy of God displayed in my life Then that urges me on, that helps me move towards that step of forgiveness. It's not always easy. But it's the thing to do especially when I look at God's grace and mercy alive in my life. The wicked servant in this parable was punished because he was willing to receive money, mercy, but wasn't willing to give it. Jesus said, this is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So what happens when we forgive? Why is it a good experience for us to forgive? How does that help with these messy relationships? Well, when we remember God's mercy in our life and we are able to forgive, here are three things at least that happen. Number one, we experience peace. We're not holding on to that grudge any longer that just eats us up on the inside and destroys the dimension of our abundant life a little by little Every day. Sometimes you can't go to sleep with it at night. Sometimes you wake up thinking about it the first thing in the morning. But if you learn to forgive, then you will experience peace. Corey Tim Boom said, Forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and to realize the prisoner was you. In your life group lesson, there's a very powerful story that Corey Tim Boom tells about forgiving one of the Nazi guards in the concentration camp where she and her family were held. It's powerful. But when we forgive, we experience peace. In Colossians 3, verse 13, the apostle Paul says, bear with each other and forgive what other grievances you may have against one another. In verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace. There's a wonderful connection between forgiveness and peace. And when we learn to forgive and get rid of the anger and and the grudge and the hostility, then a wonderful sense of peace and release comes into our life. Second thing that happens is when we learn to forgive, then we find it easier to forgive ourselves. Sometimes we're our own worst critic. We we have a low self-esteem. And, and, and we, we just constantly berate ourselves for what we have done in the past. We struggle with guilt and we struggle with remorse. Now, uh, If your guilt and remorse is because you haven't resolved an issue from the past. You've asked God to forgive you, but you haven't asked the other person that you've offended or done something wrong again to forgive you. And you might be carrying guilt for that. Then you need to do something about that. But by and large, we kind of beat ourselves up with a lot of guilt and a lot of grief over what we did in the past. You remember how God forgives us. He takes our sin and He wipes it away. He throws it into the depths of the sea. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. And so we need to learn to forgive ourselves. And then the third thing I think that we'll experience is that we will experience the fullness of forgiveness. We will experience the fullness of forgiveness. Now, sometimes Jesus said things that were so simple and straightforward and so direct that it leaves you with only two choices. You take his words exactly as he said them, or you spend half an hour talking in theological circles to explain why this isn't what he really meant. But there's a good example of that in Luke 6. Jesus said, as plain as day, forgive and you will be forgiven. And in the Lord's Prayer He said that we are to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. See, when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you come and repent of your sins and and truly believe that He's the Son of God who came as as the perfect sacrifice to die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, and, and you accept the forgiveness that Christ offers to you, then you are a Christ follower. You are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you start following Him. And as you continue that walk, you do so in the forgiveness that God has given to you. And then God expects you to walk then in, the, in forgiveness towards other people. And when we do both of those things, then I think that's what Jesus said when He talked about if we don't forgive, we can't experience the true meaning and depth of the forgiveness that God offers to us. But when we do two things, when we confess our sin and we are forgiven of that, and we forgive others who have sinned against us, then we begin to understand the fullness of forgiveness. And the promise in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave in the Beatitudes is, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In other words, if you display mercy in somebody else's life by forgiving them, then you will receive more and more mercy in the way of forgiveness. But when you hang on to your unforgiveness, when you hold a grudge, you're going to be drinking the poison that you have created. And you're going to drink it in your spiritual life and it is going to diminish your spiritual life to, to a tremendous degree. You're cutting yourself off from all the fullness of life that God intends for you to enjoy. But when you learn to forgive, What a wonderful blessing, a sense of peace and forgiveness. Guilt and fear are erased, and we enjoy the fullness of our forgiveness in the presence of God. So when we look at this issue of forgiveness and the story that Jesus told, and put together all the other passages of Scripture that we looked at today, we can certainly understand that God takes forgiveness very, very seriously. And it is a character trait. That should be very, very obvious in the life of anyone who claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ and following Him. He expects us to forgive others completely because that's how He forgave us. So, my prayer is that all of us would learn the complete joy that we experience when we learn to forgive, and that we would experience then the fullness of the forgiveness that God offers to us. Through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the mercy that you bestow upon us even in our sin and our lostness. That even while we were dead in our trespasses and our sins you sent Christ on the cross to die for our sins so that we might be forgiven And as we experience your forgiveness. And Father, help us to be able to forgive those who sin against us. Father, we know we can do it only through your power and your power alone. And so we pray for that through Jesus' name. Amen.